Our final speaker is an astrophysicist. He uh, has designed independent games, and if you squint hard enough, you might just recognise him from TV, but I'll leave that for him to explain. <laughs> Tim Young, welcome to the stage. You rat bastard. <laughs> Obviously someone knows how to use Google, that's fine. <clears throat> um, I am not here to talk about me because I think that my uh, journey isn't that exciting and is uh, still quite early on in its piece. I did do astrophysics, uh, I've also done some data science, I've done some uh, work in a field called transhumanism as well, but the story that I want to talk about today starts a lot earlier than my story. In fact, this story starts about 13.8 billion years ago, as most stories do. <laughs> so, right, right back at the beginning of everything, at the beginning of time, the Big Bang itself, the universe is nothing but a giant soup of energized electrons and protons, subatomic particles that are flying around together, just starting to form the very, very basic and the very first atoms, atoms of hydrogen. And slowly over time, those atoms of hydrogen coalesced together and created the first stars, stars that burnt bright and fast and hard and exploded at the end of their very short lives to create heavier elements, helium, neon, eventually carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, the stuff that we see today. And generations and generations of stars exploded one after the other until eventually we have all the elements of the periodic table, the stuff that you will maybe remember from your chemistry classes, maybe you wish you didn't remember from your chemistry classes. But also it has all the, the fantastic chemicals that make up our bodies as well, the stuff that life is made up from. But there is one very special element on that periodic table that everyone just has this innate attraction to. And it's kind of a bit of the way down the periodic table, all the way down in the metals, and it's called gold. And gold is very, very interesting. And this story, in many ways, is a story about a few atoms of gold, a collection of these, these little forms of matter. And the reason it's about these atoms is that unlike other atoms, things like carbon, for example, that our bodies are made up of, that our lovely drinks are made up of as well, all these other atoms, they like to bond with each other, but gold doesn't do that. Gold is what we call a noble metal. It's on its own, forever alone. <laughs> so we can sometimes relate to it. But gold, gold doesn't bond very well. It's very, very good at making jewelry. It doesn't tarnish. It's one of these fantastic things. Oxidation is what causes tarnishing in your jewelry, but gold doesn't do that. And if your gold is tarnishing, I have some terrible news about your gold. <laughs> It's not gold, it's probably copper. But gold is fantastic for this reason. It doesn't form these bonds. It's just, it just exists, and it will exist on and on and on. And so this story is about a collection of atoms of gold that started their life in the nuclear furnace of a star, probably a star that existed before our own, maybe even a star that existed before that as well. And these few atoms of gold, they lived together. And they lived deep, deep under the ground until eventually maybe 10 billion years after the Big Bang, they were eventually mined up or came to the surface and one day were picked up by a group of upright simian creatures that kind of liked them. They thought, this is really sparkly, this is nice. And these atoms of gold stuck together and they became jewelry and they became bits of um, machinery that you might see around you as well. But at one point in their lives, they had 
an adventure that rivaled that of anything else that had happened to them up until this point. And this is a bizarrely topical adventure because it involves Nazis, which is <laughs> in the news again, apparently. The year was 1939, and these atoms of gold had been pressed into little discs, medallions, and they were called Nobel Prizes. In particular, there were two of them. And on these medallions of gold were the names Max von Lau and James Frank. And these two Nobel Prizes belonged to these two incredible scientists who lived in Copenhagen. 1939 was not a good year for Copenhagen, and it wasn't a good year for these two particular scientists because one of them was Jewish, and one of them was an anti-Nazi activist. And it was about this time that the Nazis were coming through and rounding up anyone who might present a problem for them, someone who might not be with their ideals, and they were especially rounding up all the people who the Jewish faith as well. And while they were doing that, they were also collecting anything of value, especially things of value that belonged to what they considered inferior people, inferior races. And it was a capital offense to own or trade or even transport these precious materials. And two gold amulets are about as precious as you can get. And the fact that they were Nobel Prizes as well were both really, really important factors. So there was another man that these two scientists worked for, and his name was Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr was, again, another scientist. He had a Nobel Prize of his own. And he had a very, very strong sense of civic duty and duty to his fellow person because he spent almost the entirety of his years during the Second World War collecting up as many vulnerable people as possible and transporting them out of places that the Nazis had begun to occupy. And he spent so much of his life and so much of his wealth doing this that he actually sold his Nobel Prize. He sold it to get enough money to get as many people as he could out of Germany, out of Sweden, and out of Copenhagen. But these two scientists that were working for him, they couldn't escape, and they certainly couldn't escape with their gold, because they could maybe flee as refugees, they could disguise themselves, that's one way to get around patrols, but again, it's illegal to transport any of these expensive materials. So they had to leave their Nobel Prizes behind, and they left them in the care of Niels Bohr, and one of his protégés called, um, and I can never pronounce his name correctly, but it's Jörg de Havesi. And Jorg, or let's call him George, because it's much easier. <laughs> George was a fantastic chemist. And he had this incredible idea, this idea that involved science, that could save these Nobel Prizes. And he said to Niels, Niels, why don't we bury them? And Niels Bohr said, that's a terrible idea. The Nazis will look underground. They will look in places that we've buried them. We can't just use these simple methods. We can't hide them behind bedposts. We can't hide them under floorboards. We need something, something much better, something much more genius to make these things disappear. And so they racked their brains, and they thought, and they worked, and they thought. And then one morning, Jörg 
had a fantastic idea. What if we hide the metals in plain sight? Gold doesn't react to things. It's a noble metal. It doesn't react, so it doesn't dissolve. It doesn't bond, and it doesn't change its appearance. You can muddy it up, but it will still be gold underneath. There is only one substance known to humankind that can dissolve gold, and it's something called aquaregia, quite literally Latin for water of the kings. This stuff is pretty toxic. It's three parts hydrogen chloride and one part nitric acid, and it is the only substance known that can dissolve gold. But it doesn't dissolve it fast. In fact, this process can sometimes take days or even weeks, depending on how much gold you have and how good your molecular chemistry is. And they didn't have days or weeks. In fact, they had a matter of hours because that morning when they discovered that Aquaregia could be their solution, the SS had started combing the street of their lab. They had a matter of hours to get this gold and to dissolve it down into its constituent components. And so that's what they did. They just worked and worked and worked. Eventually, Niels had to leave as well because he was kind of known at this point as someone who was opposing the Nazi regime and someone who was helping the Jewish people flee. So he also fled as a refugee, and he didn't come back to his lab for over 10 years. But Jörg worked tirelessly subdividing the gold, trying to get as much surface area as possible to get as much of the acaregia in there, and after about eight hours, moments before the door was kicked down, he had a solution that looked very, very similar to this. This muddy brown awfulness. And they were in two flasks, one named Max von Lau and one named James Frank. Didn't taste that good. These two flasks sat on the shelf as the Nazis came in and literally trashed every part of the lab, all of the expensive glassware, all of the lab equipment that had been slowly stockpiled for quite literally hundreds of years. Some of this chemistry equipment was hundreds of years old, and they smashed it all. But these two muddy brown flasks of grossness just sat on a shelf, slowly collecting dust, and no one paid it a second thought. Ten years later, the war is finally over, and people are starting to return to Copenhagen. And Jörg took these two flasks, and he personally ferried them up to Switzerland, to the Noble Council. And the scientists at the Noble Council took these two flasks and distilled back out of them those exact same molecules of gold, the exact same atoms that formed those metals to begin with, and reforged them back into their Nobel Prizes. The exact same atoms that existed in those metals right from the dawn of time to exist as a metal, to be dissolved into this muck, and to become back to a metal again is an incredible scientific experiment. It's an incredible scientific endeavor, but also it was a symbol of stubbornness to fight against the system and to make sure that we had kept the stories of these people, the stories of them who, and they won their Nobel Prizes for very important things. Uh, Max von Lau 
got his Nobel Prize for uh, what we call now X-ray diffraction, the process to find out what materials are made of through using X-rays. Not quite the same X-rays that you get at a hospital, but very, very similar. And James Frank uh, worked with a man called Gustav Hertz to essentially make the systems of modern electrical science. So almost everything that runs on electricity now you owe to those two, and Hertz is, of course, the system uh, or the, the metric that we use to measure the frequency of sound. So another huge name in science. But while they got their medals back and everything was fantastic, Niels Bohr had sold his and he died never knowing what had happened to it. The auction was a silent auction. It was an anonymous bidder and no one knew who it was. And four years after Niels Bohr's death, Someone came to the museum in Stockholm and once again anonymously gave the medal back. Not asking for a cent for it, just deposit it back to live alongside the other two, which are all there now. Jörg de Hevesy was very lucky because he didn't have a Nobel Prize until 1943. He got his Nobel Prize for essentially discovering that radioactive elements could be injected into a body as a tracer a method that we now use to find cancers and other malignant bodies within the human body, or animal bodies as well, if you have a lot of money for a very expensive vet. So all four of these men did something amazing for science, but also something amazing for the legacy of the science and for the people who have helped them get to where they are as well. And that, I think, is one of the most incredible stories to me because it's a story about perseverance and it's a story that has a happy ending, which is nice. And it also reminds you that some things in life are maybe a little bit more permanent than you might thought. All that gold that you might have on your jewelry, that was born in a star just as all the atoms were that you're made of right now. But that gold will also be there long after your death, long after the death of most of the people that we know and love and their children and their children and their children. Those atoms will exist forever, and it's amazing to wonder what journey and what adventures might those atoms have long after we're all gone. So thank you very much for listening. That was it. <laughs>